0: Welcome to episode 30 of CommuniCast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of CommuniSpond, a global communication skills training organization. In this episode, I'm talking with Dr. Tom Tonkin. Dr. Tonkin is an award-winning researcher and author, as well as the co-founder and CEO of the Sales Conservatory. Check out the episode to hear our discussion around the importance of situational fluency, why context matters. And how idle chit chat can improve your communication skills. I
1: hope you enjoy,
0: Doctor Tonkin. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Good afternoon, or morning? i guess morning for me. It just feel i have been up late, mm-hmm. so it feels like afternoon. Heck, even evening—is it time to go to sleep yet?
0: <laughs> Not quite yet. Still, still a yeah. little early, even on the East Coast. But
1: yeah, glad to have you here today. <laughs> Excellent, sir.
0: Now, really looking forward to our, our conversation. We chatted a little bit a while ago and just, just super excited about just the background and the experience you bring to the table. Before we jump into all of that, why don't you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, and really what it is that you're doing today.
1: Well, thanks, and thank you, listener, who happens to have this running on their podcast and spending time with us. Um, The tagline I like to use is this idea of I'm a recovering executive. Been doing in the corporate world for about 35 years, doing all the things that all of you corporate folks are doing, got to be a point where, and and this sounds kind of deep, but I felt like I needed to leave a legacy. I felt like I needed to, like when I'm long and gone, that someone says, there's this guy on the planet one time that did some really cool things that continues to help. And as, as mushy as it all that sounds, it's actually true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've decided uh, I'm an, you know, independent consultant, you know, worker, if you will, uh, trying to make a buck, if you will, but hopefully providing a significant amount of value around um, management consulting, but we specifically deal in the sales world helping salespeople become better salespeople, sales leaders becoming better sales leaders um, because it's an interesting uh, context. So anybody, if you if you want to know anything else, I mean, the good news is uh, Google is, is friendly with my name and <laughs> you can Google me and find all sorts of interesting things.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. You're definitely easy to find out there. A lot of stuff that you've done throughout your background. And I love the term recovering executive and, you especially, as you mentioned, this idea of of legacy. And as I've progressed throughout my career, that has has been something that's more and more important. As I'm thinking about the work that I'm doing, is it meaningful? And ultimately, is it helping people in whatever manner that may be? And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are getting to that point in their lives and their career where they really are starting to think about that. How are people going to remember me? And really, what was the ultimate, hopefully, net positive impact that I've had? you know, during my time on this planet. So thank you for that introduction. And you hit on this idea of you do a lot of work with sales folks, sales leaders, and communication is a huge part of being successful in sales in a number of aspects. So as you think about this idea of soft skills, communication skills, really what comes to mind when you hear somebody say, oh, you know, this person, so-and-so, they're a great communicator, or they're a very strong communicator. What What immediately pops into your head when you hear that?
1: There's a, there's a somewhat of a wonky (laughs) term, but I'm going to put it out there so we can rally around it. This idea of being situationally fluent in what it is that you do. So it's one thing for me to sit down and have pre-thought my ideas, have read a speech, you know, on and on and on. I don't know if anyone knows, for example, the Martin Luther King, the famous "I Have a Dream" speech. You know, the first half of it was written, and this term "I have a dream" was not in the in, in, in at that point in his speech. And then he completely departed from the rest of the speech that he had written. So when you go to YouTube and you hear "I have a dream" and all this, everybody's rallying. That's just him riffing on that i mean i think you and i could uh argue and conclude that he was a pretty good communicator Mm -hmm. um and so situational fluency right the ability to understand the context the situation the modalities that people are communicating with the what do i want to call it the sort of the the ethos right The, the the thing that comprises um the con, like again, the context, the feelings, the emotions, and be able to take advantage of that as a vehicle to get your your message out, is probably the first thing that comes to mind when when I think is mm-hmm. and 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 arguably very hard to do.
0: I would agree, definitely hard to do, and especially when it comes into sales or perhaps really at, honestly anything where you're trying to persuade somebody. I would think this idea of situational fluency is so challenging to overcome the preparation that you've put in and I would say your own desired outcomes. Because I think so many people get caught up and I'm really speaking from say this sales background where they have a meeting, they have an agenda, they've done their homework, they've prepared, they have all these questions and they feel okay. I got to get through all these questions. And they're just missing so many things because they're not adapting either to what the person is saying or a lot of times what the person is not saying. So they're not really changing based on the cues they're getting back because they're so locked into, I have all these questions, I need to find these things out so I can come up with a proposal or whatever it may
1: be. Yeah, so, so you, you bring up a good point because it's one thing for you and I to have this high lofty and, and vehemently agree with this mushy term. And yet I'm compelled as someone who does this for a living to give you a prescription on how to do that. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one of the things that you have to learn how to do is this idea of calibration. Right. So you're in the room. The first thing you need to do is calibrate. Now, what does calibrate mean? You got to take a look. You got to notice. You got to see who's doing what. And I teach um, because I'm a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming. And I teach people cues as to how you can elicit people's What's called representational system, their modalities, how they best do it. And you and, and and when you get good at it, you know, you just kind of do it within seconds. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean to make it right. You now have something to test. And then you fire off an assertion, a question, whatever. And here's the idea don't just listen for what is repeated, but try to calibrate the 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 idea that of of how they interpret your assertion. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, Scott. I, I I think everyone knows this, but it's well. Um, it's interesting to put on the table is the meaning of any assertion is placed or derived or interpreted from the recipient, not the communicator. Mm-hmm. So I can say something like, you know, it's hot in Denver. Well. You have, you as the recipient, have all sorts of data with hot means. right? And you could say something like, well, wow, you you, you know, you, you probably have the air conditioner on. Well, No, I don't. It's like, <laughs> it's okay. no, because it's only 80. Well, that's 80 is pretty hot. Not for me, man. That's kind of chilly, right? So that's, think of that as a very rudimentary example. But imagine the, the context and the detail and, and and some of the nuance, right, that comes from these sort of mushy words that we intend up using.
0: Mm-hmm. So I, I think with the calibration, I love what you said about just because you've done, you've gone through and learned these skills and you practice it and you you go in and you calibrate based on what you're seeing around you, whatever it may be, it doesn't mean it's 100% true. And I remember when we first connected, you were talking about just like the background, the picture and how my office is set up. You were able to put out some things and you made some statements and based on my response, you kind of I probably recalibrated a little bit how to best exactly. engage yeah. with me. So it is important that as you're going into these meetings and you're using these skills, don't just take them as uh, at hundred percent. You're going to have to try and test them out, recalibrate a little bit. So with with the situational fluency, you know that's a big part of being a great communicator because you really need to understand the audience, where they're coming from. How they're wired you know what's going to be best for them, what are some other skills as you're working with sales folks that you really are seeing that are that are really important in the business setting today?
1: I think the second thing that after situational fluency would be this idea of 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 discovery so that usually by the way in the sales world um, there this is a a staple in the sales cycle. You you get a lead, you get some phone calls, you assess whether or not you have a, de- a, a, a need, but that's more like whether or not should I pick up the phone or meet with the person mm-hmm. until I have this thing called discovery. Now, here's the problem with with discovery is let me let me give you a, a, a reverse engineered definition. Is discovery means is you're being, you're making yourself aware of things that are already there. So it's not, it may be new to you, but it's, it's been out there like forever. Hence discovery. I always like the, 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 metaphor of, of Christopher Columbus, right. right. Discovering that chunk of land we called America. I was there forever. Mm-hmm. He just happened to run into it. The question is what assumption did he have? I mean, I wasn't there obviously, but he probably said, well, where are the elephants? And, but yet that assumption sat in his head where he was trying to force his reality into his mindset. Again, I wasn't there, but we're all human. That's probably a fair guess. Mm-hmm. A salespeople, you go out there and you have that same set of assumptions. You're looking for something, it, it, it defies your logic just for uh, ever so slightly. And yet you have the model of the world and you're trying to cram stuff into that model. And sometimes you're, you know, it's, it's the, the proverbial, you know, square peg round hole kind of thing where you're just trying to beat it into it. So I think what salespeople have to understand is when you're doing a discovery, all you're doing is you are unraveling, unwrapping things that are already there. That's how you know you got it right.
0: That's a great way of looking at that. Never, never really thought about it from that perspective before. Love the analogy of discovering Columbus, discovering America. And you know, I think a lot of salespeople do fall victim to that of really trying to just force it, you know, trying to force and maybe lead the prospect to where they want them to go, even though it might not be the best thing, because that's what I sell. I'm hoping to get them to try and buy that. So really going from that mindset of, you know, it's already out there. I just need to figure out how do I get the right information to figure out, is this a good fit for us? Is this not a good fit for us? Now, and yeah, there, the questioning plays a big part of that.
1: I'm sorry, Scott, because I, I did want to, there's a bonus to that one. Yes. And the bonus is your customers thinking the same way as well. So you have an opportunity. Yeah. You have an opportunity to say, no, this actually isn't India. This is actually America. Oh <laughs> that changes right that changes the conversation. So many times your your customer because we're all human mm-hmm. says I, I'm, I too am I'm inventing I'm not discovering right Columbus didn't invent America dis- discovered which means it was already there. Sometimes my assumption creates an an, an invention of what it is that I'm looking for, and if I invented it, all of a sudden, I can make it do whatever I want, and I'm, I'm talking about presuppositions, and assumptions, and, and, and misreading context, and I, I'm a big storyteller, so I tell people a lot of these kinds of stories uh, to show, and people go, yeah, I remember that, that one time that that happened. Well, that's probably the underlying communication or miscommunication between those two people,
0: yeah, it's it is. That's a great distinction to bring up that the clients have that same mindset that that you have. And I think also that you know the clients do have that mindset when a, a salesperson, account executive, whatever you want to call them, comes in that you are quote trying to sell them or force them to fit into the box of your solution. So by coming in from that approach to really figure out, you know, what is it that we can do? Can we help them? I think it does help to also shift the conversation a little bit, get them to open up, build a little bit more of that trust to really see, you know, can we work together? Does this make sense?
1: So what I like to do and what I strive for and what I like to think of myself as a differentiator is I try to make all these things, not only actionable, prescriptive. And that's a term that I use very intentionally. I'll give you an example of how this could be utilized. So if anyone's been sales and Scott, you might've been in this situation as well, where you're having a discussion about your offering, your service or whatever with the customer and you're having this great idea. And then somebody comes up with this great idea that says, I want to make sure that I capture everything that we need to do for you for the next meeting. And I want to create some level of visibility. So I'm going to put it on the parking lots. I'm sure we've all heard that term. Mm-hmm the parking lot and maybe it's butcher paper or whiteboard or something because not only do I want to capture it but I want to have some level of accountability that so everyone can see that I'm capturing it and that I'm really trying to be truthful all good intentions Scott. right everything like how would you possibly argue with not having a parking lot and then here's what happens you towards the end of the day that list gets pretty long CEO goes, hey, I heard Scott and team is down the the hall. Let me me pop my head in. He looks in and he sees this long list and says, look at all of the stuff they can't do. And he closes this door and he walks away thinking, yeah, Scott's not going to win this deal. Look look at all of the issues that that we've brought up that Mm -hmm. he can't seem to handle. Fair on both, right? Mm -hmm. Fair. And yet, that certainly wasn't your intention. Right. Different audience, different context, situational fluency actually was out of your control. And so what I always tell people is have a parking lot, put it in your notebook, discuss it, heck, maybe Slack, email, whatever, but don't put it out on everybody because the context matters so much at that point. So there you have it. I mean, it's kind of a bonus there to be very prescriptive about how we yes. communicate.
0: It's. Crucial. Context when it comes to communication can make or break something, whether it is an email or something like you were describing with having the, the parking lot up on a whiteboard or the, the flip chart. If yep. somebody walks in, they have no idea what's going on, can completely derail, sidetrack something without that context. When asking questions, providing the context for why you're asking that question can help take people you know, off guard a little bit or put them a little bit more at ease. So that's a great bonus tip of really understanding that everyone has a context and how to try to avoid situations where a lack of context can completely derail something. I love that. One of the things you hit on a little bit ago, Tom, was that you know, you're, you're a big storyteller, you, you tell lots of stories and I've noticed that just in our, our interactions. If you think through your career journey from the executive career to the work that you're doing now, if you had to drill it down to say one or two key communication skills that have really helped lead to your
1: success, what would you say those would be? So the reason storytelling is so important in my life, um, is it. it, So, so everyone always talks about, I want to make sure that I capture what you're saying, listening, active listening, everybody. Um, the reason storytelling works from a neurologic perspective is that stories stitch together data from both the right side and the left side of your brain. So the right side is the abstract conceptual and the left side is where all the facts and figures are, are sort of residing. What story does, the story traverses those two things. I give you the abstract story, but then that story is sprinkled with facts and figures. And in, in, so pathologically, that actually ends up being something that's created in your brain. That connection literally gets built in your brain while you're putting that together. So if I want you to walk away from something that I've explained to you or talked to you or communicated with you, I want you to be able to retrieve it and, and, and reflect on it. And heck, maybe ask questions later on about it. And so I'm very, very, so I so get another prescription on why you use stories. So communication number one, storytelling. And I gave you some prescription and some context to be able to practice it. The other thing is there's, a, there's an aspect of conciseness that I don't think we've mastered.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why do I want a conciseness? Everyone always says concise is better, be close. Well, why is that? Well, again, I'm going to harken back to the science that we now know. Our short-term memory is housed in something called the hippocampus. And the hippocampus is sitting there And according to research, it holds about 15 to 18 minutes worth of content. Think of it as like the memory of your computer. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't get flushed into the long term, it it goes away. So a lot of people go, I'm going to have this two-hour meeting with the customer. Everyone's like, you're going to spend two hours with the customer. Oh, that's awesome. But remember, the last 15 minutes is the only thing they're going to walk out of there. So yeah, have the conversation, do that. But somewhere along the line, look at the clock and Mm -hmm. say, I got 15 minutes. Make sure that you are able to summarize, wrap up, get the clear points in their minds. So they walk out and go, yeah, that guy, Scott, he gets me. You know, like he hit the nail on the head. Could have said all sorts of really good things, supportive things, Mm -hmm. detailed things, not saying that you shouldn't do those. But let me tell you, they're, you know, if you're going to talk about golfing, <laughs> right? you know, in some interesting thing, they walk out and they'll say, Scott's a really good golf. Yeah. That's what I remember. So those are the sort of the two linchpin communication tools that I think, uh, and then of course we abstract them, right? So mm-hmm. this idea of, um, of, of limiting and conciseness of your, uh, of your uh, communication is important.
0: Definitely. And I, it, it's kind of funny as you were talking about, you know, especially with the stories and creating the the handles to pull the information back just rem- brought me back to college and you know, undergrad. I was a I was a teaching major. I taught high school for a number of years before going into a sales career. And just remember the terms of this idea of scaffolding, trying to connect information together in the brain, as well as creating what they they literally call them handles so that students can go back and, and access that information. And if I think of Throughout my teaching career, when I had, I would say, the most success or when things really felt like they were clicking, it wasn't when I was just standing in front of the class lecturing. It was when I was coming up with either stories or activities that really get the students to grasp those concepts. It wasn't just reading, wasn't just getting the facts, it was helping them internalize it or somehow relate to it, kind of creating relatability to information that can be complex, that can be boring for some people, helps them to remember. And I would run into students years later and they would bring up different activities or different yeah. things that we did just because it was so different and it used stories and it understood the psychology of the brain. And the point that you you gave there about conciseness and more specifically, the last part of the meeting, doing the time check. Yeah. You know, it's great on the front end to get those the pleasantries, understanding, vacations, kids, all that. You want to do that at the beginning of the meeting That's not where you want to do it at the end as you're wrapping up, even as they're walking you out. You want to make sure you're recapping, getting it all, getting the takeaways uh, and not, as you said, talking about golf or where you're going for vacation, because that's going to stick in their mind. Love it. So as you think of someone who has influenced you in your communication style throughout your career, you, who, maybe who was that person? You don't necessarily need to name names, but uh, really, what did you take from them and kind of make your own?
1: I mean, this is actually easy. Mm-hmm. The gentleman named Jeff Young, and if Jeff, you're listening to me, you've, you've, you've influenced my life. Jeff used to spend an inordinary amount of time with idle chit-chat. I thought, well, that's what I thought. I thought you spend a heck of a lot of time with idle chit-chat. But that's not what he was doing. He was building the scaffolding. He was, he was, he was asking questions to build rapport. He, He was getting the bones of communications for that particular interaction built in his mind. So, when he got into sort of meaningful, if you will, business-like discussion, now he's got a place to hang it, <laughs> the information. And the thing that I found very interesting when you do that is when you do the scaffolding, build a hanging, it's built. You can, get, you can get back to it all the time. So, what I'm telling you today is I actually was teaching some of that last week with a customer. And... Somehow people think in sales that it's like, well, I can't wait to talk to a customer to do this. I'm like, no, 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 no. Actually, that should be like it. Like you should be ready to go. You need to talk to your spouse, your kids, the waiter, grocery store person and get to know people. And so that's what I do all the time. Like when I train people, anybody I touch and come in contact with I'm having that conversation for two reasons. Number one, I'm building the scaffolding, and number two, I'm practicing. And on number three, I'm actually modeling that behavior. I'm sitting there, this happened on Tuesday morning, talking about my thing, and in comes the person that was refreshing our drinks. His name was Fernando, he came from Dominican Republic. He has two kids, two girls actually. One's in college, one's in high school, he's worked and he's actually was living outside of the running of Republican. And, you know, he's really happy and he's looking to have kids. He goes back home. I got all that information and then he walks in the next day and I say, hey, Fernando, can you step up to the front with my the stage? And there's all the people listening. And I go, I want everybody to meet Fernando and all this. So I'm telling Fernando in front of everybody his 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 stats, if you will. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, how the heck, like, are you a stalker or what, like, what's going on here? But at the same time, here's the punchline to this too. I remembered him and I noticed him and it felt good. I mean, isn't, isn't that how we want to leave our relationships? Put it all back to, we'll, back to legacy as to, well. you know, to something better. So I'm always on it's good practice. It's, it's a good way to build rapport and heck you might find something. Here's the punchline that next day. Um, the, the VP who was listening to me sitting in a restaurant, having a couple cocktails at the end does the same thing. The waiter gets a lead. Waiter comes up, said, been thinking about this, understood you. You Yes. Good questions. Here's the card of, you know, director of such and such. She's expecting your call. Puts this back and says, I'll do it as soon as I get back. So, all of this does culminate. This isn't like some, uh, you know, goodwill rubber chicken tour kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like it's a thing that has meaning behind it. Um, but heck, I mean, you, you might find some friends too. Absolutely. I mean,
0: it's so if I think about, especially what, you know, what we do here at Bond and, and in your world with the, the sales training, practice is so important. You know The behaviors aren't going to change, the skills aren't going to change, the muscles aren't going to grow, so to speak, if you aren't putting in the work and practicing those skills. And the worst thing that you can do is go through a training, say, okay, good. I have a meeting coming up in a few weeks. I'll try this out there, right? It's a recipe for disaster. And in your day-to-day life, there are just so many opportunities to practice Effective communication skills and even sales skills, right? Because sales really is about understanding people, their motivations, the problems they're trying to solve, and by having conversations, having a dialogue with folks, you never know what you're going to find out. And you know, to your example with that VP that was having a conversation, found a lead. I, you know, several months ago, we were having a fence put in around our front yard, and the brick mason that was there was phenomenal, phenomenal work. I mean, very impressive. Been doing it for 35 years. Just over the course of a week, getting to know him, his sister has founded an ed tech startup company, or I'm sorry, like a tech startup company that's in the auto industry. So I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So you never know what you're gonna find out when you take the time, talk to people, have a genuine interest. And as you do this, the thing that you said that I love most is the idea of modeling. Whether you're modeling it for the people on your team, you're modeling it for clients, you're modeling it for your family, that people will eventually pick up on that because they're going to see the positive impact that it has, whether it is, I found a new lead or I made somebody feel good or someone made me feel good. That's at the end of the day, what it's all about. I mean, beyond the dollars and cents of everything, if we can help people and just leave folks better than how we found them, to me, that's a win.
1: I I agree with you. I go back to the, again, the VP that found the lead. I want to be sure everybody understands. The lead was there all along. The need was there all along. It's whether or not he was going to be able to uncover it. And, and that's, you know, it's not like you, like you fabricated the need. A lot of people will say something like, well, you know, you know, you have to create the need. I don't know. I, I don't think you need to create a matter of fact, I think it's very difficult to create a need. Mm-hmm. And yet there's so many needs unmet. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to fabricate one. So you know, and, and it, I, am compelled, Scott, to go back and sort of summarize, you know, something that you said earlier, right? You, you, you make people people feel better. You start leaning this, up. this is part of the legacy discussion I was having with you, right? It's this idea mm-hmm. that I, I was I was listening to a a, a few, fu- I was in a funeral, and nobody knew the young man. He was very young, 26. Died when he was very young. It's kind of sad and it was eulogy time and it's quiet no one stood up no one said anything for this young man finally somebody felt compelled (laughs) um he used to collect hats uh he loved his hats and somebody jumped in yeah uh hats you loved hats so for about 10 minutes we're all talking about his hats I, I thought that was sad because you can turn that around and say, "I collected promotions, I collected jobs, I collected money. Do I want to be known as a collector, or do I want to be known as somebody that invested in other people's time? I mean, uh, took the time to invest in other people mm-hmm. and 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 left a, a place." Maybe I'm in that mode. Maybe I'm sort of primed to think that way. But I know we're talking about communications. I mean, that's the key to all of mm-hmm. this. So think about it, right? And I, I like stories, I like metaphors, I like analogies, you know. Are you collecting hats? <laughs> or are <laughs> you or 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 are you investing in people? Absolutely. now well,
0: well said. So as we wrap up here, you've you've shared so much great advice and great tips so far but any closing pieces of advice you would have for somebody whether they're maybe fresh out of college or they're at a you know midway through their career and they're making a pivot what advice would you have for them around communication skills and you know the role that they can play in their success their happiness and even their legacy
1: Some. You know, I've been doing this a really long time and arguably I would think myself is pretty good, but that doesn't mean anything. That just means I was better than yesterday. Um, so I'm always continuing to do that. But I think I think the, the question that you have to ask yourself really is, I'll, I'll leave you with a quote and then you overlay that. So I, I mentioned, I might've mentioned this. I use this quote all the time. Different isn't always better but better is always different. Different isn't always better, but better is always different. So if that's the case and you're shooting for better, by definition, it's different. So the question I have for everybody who's trying to improve themselves, college, mid-year, legacy leaving, what are you doing different to be better? Love that.
0: I absolutely love that. It's goes back to the idea of, you know, you know, the whole definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If you want to change, if you want to be better. You absolutely have to do something different, whether it's tweaking your approach to sales, changing how you interact with your spouse or your kids, or just thinking differently about, you know, how you can invest your time and energy versus collecting hats. it's a great way to look at it what are you doing different so dr tonkin thank you so much for joining me today really did enjoy our conversation hope you have a great rest of your day
1: thank you so much scott and remember go be better
0: absolutely go be better take care a special thanks again to my guest dr tom tonkin so are you collecting hats or are you investing in people such a powerful perspective, especially if you are at a point in your career where you are thinking about your impact and legacy. As always, if you haven't done so, please be sure to subscribe to CommuniCast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks, and have a great day.